But now, of course, let's turn our attention to the Lord's Word. We'll be in two places in the Bible this morning. We'll be in Luke chapter 2, uh, primarily, and also in Luke chap- in Matthew chapter 1. So if you want to put uh, two fingers into those two passages, we'll be at the end of chapter 1 in Matthew and the sort of beginning of chapter 2 in Luke. Um, as you're turning there, uh, the texts will also be on the screen, so um, that should help you. As you're finding both chapters, I'd like to take a moment to prep our minds and hearts to come to passages that we've heard so many times. These are familiar texts, and it's easy to gloss over the implications and the details when the major moments are so important and familiar. So as we read, let's try to pay attention to the details, starting with Matthew, starting in verse 18 of chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And then from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And then when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. 
At the end of the eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these familiar and wonderful passages about the gospel and hope coming into this world, that the Savior at last has come to be with us, that you at last are again with us. Lord, thank you for these stories. Thank you for these realities, for these truths. And Lord, as we come to these passages, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to them anew, that we would marvel again uh, in newness of the wonder of your gospel and the wonder of your incarnation. So Lord, be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we talked about the greatness of God. Jesus is the word of God, and by and through him, all things were created. Dr. Dave stressed the majesty, the power, and the transcendence of Jesus from John chapter 1. But this morning, we're talking about God's imminence, about God drawing near to us. And thus, we're talking about the incarnation and the humanity of Jesus. The Christmas story is chiefly about all of that majesty, power, dominion, and transcendence coming to be with us in the normal, the ordinary, and the human. The human components of the birth story are often glossed over in favor of the wonder of God Almighty coming to be with his creation. And yet, we stress that God, that Jesus, is both fully God and also fully human. And so let's stop to consider some of the human elements of the story. Let's think about some of the details that we miss. Uh, In this sort of Advent season, I've spent a lot of time reading children's books about sort of the birth story to my children. Uh, We have a whole variety of them. They're wonderful. They're awesome. Most of them rhyme. It's great. But in these children's storybooks, we often get a sanitized and simplified version and picture of how it all went down. Most of the children's books, and most of, let's be honest, most of the other media as well, um, that surround the Christmas narrative show sort of Mary and Joseph well-dressed, clean and expectant, overlooking Bethlehem in the sort of starry, clear night, right? They're traveling alone, arriving late uh, to Bethlehem to find that there's no room in the inn. Then you turn the page, and what we get is not the anxious pivot from intended plans, the search for a new room, the decision-making to put them into the stable. Rather, the next picture we get is of the joyous birth of Jesus, who is quietly sleeping, clean, happy, joyous, wrapped in swaddling blankets, lying gently in a manger in softly lit stable under the bright star that commemorates his birth. Nice, clean, sanitized. But that's not reality. That's not how it all unfolded. From Luke's account, just looking at the logistics of it, right? From Luke's account, we know that they had to travel from Bethlehem, uh, from, to Bethlehem from Nazareth. So not only is it a 70-mile journey on foot or on the back of a donkey, but it's also a 700-foot elevation gain as well. 
And so all of those stories of having to go to school uphill both ways through the driving snow, this is somewhat like that for, for, for Mary. They are literally trekking uphill to get to the birthplace of Jesus. This would not have been an easy journey for anyone. Can you imagine walking 70 miles? It would have been chump change for the Garniers, but for the rest of us, it's a, a, an almost insurmountable trek, right? But seven... 70 miles is not an easy journey, but can you imagine doing that eight or nine months pregnant? That would have been brutal. And that journey also isn't without its own dangers and pitfalls. Travel in the ancient days would have been dangerous, and that danger would often be mitigated by, being, by traveling in a large group. And so it's likely that Joseph and Mary traveled with other kinsmen and other family, extended family members to Bethlehem in a sort of caravan. So much for traveling alone and arriving alone at Bethlehem. By the time they arrive in Bethlehem, they would have been exhausted. Um, they would have been dirty, smelly, sweaty, and been on the road for days. A far cry from the beautiful pictures in our storybooks. What about the emotional aspects of things? What about the emotional components to this? Well, we need to also consider the fact that becoming parents for the first time is its own hefty task. For all of us that are parents, we can remember the anticipation, the worry, the weight of responsibility as we wait for this new life to come. All of that is Mary and Joseph's experience, too. Couple that with the fact that this was not a quick or easy jaunt away or a weekend away, they were relocating for weeks, possibly years, to Bethlehem. Joseph would have had to find work. They would have had to, had to rely upon extended family members that they likely hadn't seen in years or ever. They're in a new place with new people. They're a new family, and they're about to welcome a new family member who, oh, by the way, just happens to be the Messiah, they will have to essentially build a whole new support system and community around themselves to develop friendships and relationships, to develop work opportunities for Joseph. Think about the anxiety of it. Many of you have gone through periods where you've been between jobs. You understand the anxiety of not knowing how things are going to shake out. Well, what about the social aspects of this? If we look at Matthew's account of Joseph's encounter with the angel, we can see the social impropriety of Mary and Joseph's situation being brought into focus. Mary was unwed and pregnant. In the world's eyes, Mary had cheated on Joseph, and so Joseph had every right, every social motivation to shame Mary and to publicly humiliate her to restore his own social standing, lest he be accused of impropriety himself and to also break off his betrothal, betrothal to her. So there would have been shame, pity, and loss of social standing. And they would have all been, all of that would have been felt acutely by Mary, especially since she's in her teen years, remember, her early teen years, and living in the small town of Nazareth where there's rarely any secrets. Couple that with the reality of seeing a terrifyingly glorious angel after God Almighty had been silent for centuries, they must have been overwhelmed. Let's not mention the utter unfairness of the situation. 
Mary and Joseph did nothing wrong, and yet they will have to endure every side eye, every whispered rumor, and every humiliation that comes with questions about Jesus' parentage. Can you imagine how, much, how that must wear on you over time? Just the trip to Bethlehem alone would have made it old. Mary and Joseph traveling with family, and families have their own special brand of humiliation and rumors. It must have been devastatingly difficult for them. And so there was a great cost to the obedience and faithfulness of Mary and Joseph from the start. And let's not forget the birth. The birth itself would have been a trial. Maternal and infant mortality was a very real thing in the ancient world. While Mary knew that Jesus would be fine, there was, after all, promises made about Jesus, we have no record of such a promise made to Mary through the childbirth. The only promises made to her that would be that she would bear a son that would save people. We don't know if Mary was going to survive. There is a very real danger to Mary, and even though she intellectually knows that Jesus will be fine, there's a lifetime of experience watching the dangers of childbirth that must have sort of put anxiety in her heart and mind all the same. Jesus would come into the world through pain and blood. It was, a, it was hard work and labor. It was not just like, poof, there he is. Poof, he's out. Poof, he's in blankets, happy, sleeping. It's not usually the way that babies come out. They normally come out and they're screaming, right? Again, that's not often something that we think about. And so let's sum this all up. Jesus is absolutely God Almighty. He is the eternal and pre-existent word of God. He's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. And he came down to earth to be with his people in an act of unimaginable humility. And he came as a baby into all the complexities, hardships, and sufferings of human life in a fallen world. Things weren't neat and clean for Mary, Joseph, or Jesus. From the get-go, Jesus came into a family with a profound lack of stability and security from a worldly perspective. He came to a virgin mother, which brought social instability and insecurity. He came in a town that would have been newish to, like, Joseph and Mary with new communities to break into and build relationships with. And then all of that is going to go up in smoke in a, in a chapter or so because they have to move to Egypt to escape Herod, who's trying to murder Jesus. Talk about insecurity. And so they end up in Egypt for a time. Again, a new place, a new job, new friends, new community, new everything. But this time with a distinct lack of being among your own people. And so for the early years of his life, Jesus was a refugee. Talk about overwhelming. And I hope that these realities, these realities help make you love Jesus just a little bit more because he understands how overwhelming and how unstable and how insecure life can feel and how life can be. Jesus' birth didn't come in ideal circumstances, far from it. It wasn't clean, it wasn't easy. Rather, it was complex and hard, just like life is for us. Last week, we adored Jesus because he is God with us. This week, we adore him because he is God with us. 
You see, in the middle of all the complexities, the hardships, the worries, the anxieties, and the insecurities that Jesus was born into, the gospel message of the angels really grabs our attention, as if the multitude of of angels didn't already do that, right? So let's look with me, look with me at verses 10 through 12 of Luke chapter 2. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This message is specifically for non-children's book people. This is a message specifically for non-fairy tale, sort of everything is nice, neat, and tidy kind of people. This isn't for the Hallmark card holiday Christmas that Christmas has become. No, the good news of great joy, which is the gospel, isn't one for people that have it all together. No, this message is for people who are in desperate need of a savior. Isn't it telling that the angels and the Lord skip again over the influential people? He passed over important people in Jerusalem or even in Bethlehem, and yet he sent the first message of good news and great joy to shepherds. Shepherds were pretty far down on the social ladder. They were held in low esteem and didn't even have the legal capacity act, to act as credible witnesses in a court of law. These men would have, have, would have been the marginalized people of the town, the people that you don't even think about as you pass them on the road. They would have had no illusions about their lot in life. They understood what it meant to live without a lot of hope for improvement in their life. We, in this room, are very different. Most of us think that we can pull it together. We have pulled ourselves together to be here this morning. Most of us carry on a persona at church that we don't often carry on throughout the rest of our weeks. We feel like we have to put on a show when we come to church, that we are good, upstanding, right people, which is just not true. Most of us think that we're capable as well. We live in a highly educated, highly capable, highly affluent place. We're not, we don't sort of view ourselves as just flailing around as powerless and helpless dumpster fires of drama. But spiritually speaking, a dumpster fire of drama would be a generous way to describe you. Because in fact, our situation is much, much worse. We're deeply sinful people. Even the Christians here in this room have deep sin issues that we're working through. We're on the road of sanctification our whole lives. But as we navigate life, we find ourselves in the same boat, in desperate need of a savior. We can't do it on our own. Even us, highly educated, highly capable, highly motivated Loudoun County folk are no match for the insurmountable issue of sin. Not only are we terrible about changing our desires, but even if we were able to just sort of magically stop sitting all of a sudden, just right now, we'd still have an infinite debt to pay for all of our past sins. No. We need a savior because we're toast, burnt toast, really. We have a big problem, and Jesus is that savior. 
All of God's mighty transcendence is here with us, and he's here for a purpose. You see, even right here at the beginning of Jesus' life, we see in the angel's message that Jesus is at work even now at the beginning of his life. We adore Jesus not only because he's intrinsically worthy, because he's God, but also because he, because Jesus, the baby, the human, is the gospel at work in our lives. Christmas marks the definitive beginning to the Lord's plan to save a people for himself. Right here at the beginning, the end, the cross is in, is in view. Death and salvation through, through the death on the cross were always the plan. Jesus came, was born, and went to the cross that he might die the death that you deserve. And all of it is for our great joy. That we would live as we were always intended to be, with God. Emmanuel, with God. The birth of Christ is the definitive moment in history that marks a transition. It marks the coming of the gospel into the world, that death would be defeated, and that we would be redeemed, saved, and united to God. It's not just Jesus' birthday. It's the gospel's birthday. It's the day that all the hopes and the promises of the Bible are made tangible and real. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It's not just because it's his birthday. Oh, great, let's give presents because it's his birthday. It's we celebrate because this is the day that we get hope into this world. That's why we celebrate, because we have hope in the midst of a fallen world. Let's celebrate that this Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, you have sent your son to be with us and that you sent him not in a flash of light and a flash of glory, but in the mundane, ordinary, familiar ways of childbirth and childhood. Lord, thank you for protecting Mary, for protecting Joseph along the way, for calling them to a radical obedience. Lord, thank you for sending your son, that he is like us in every way, that he is both fully God and fully human, that he understands the complexities of life, the hardships of life, the logistics of life. And Lord, we thank you that your life, your coming came with a purpose, a purpose for salvation, a purpose to save sinners who can't save themselves. And Lord, we are those sinners. And so we come to you asking, that we would have a bigger picture of not only your birth, but also of your son. That we, we, we would rejoice in seeing the gospel at work, even now at Christmas. That we would celebrate that gospel of hope coming into a world that is hopeless. And so Lord, be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.